we're going to be in John chapter 3 today. If you have your Bible or you have your phone that you're going to pull up a Bible app. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They've got Bibles you can use. They've actually got Bibles you can have today. So if you need a Bible to follow along as we read today um, in the Bible, just wave at the ushers. They'll give you one. If you don't have a Bible, write your name in this one and take it home and keep it. We've given away more than a thousand Bibles since our church started a little over four years ago. And we would love for you to have one. And I may be more excited about today's message than any other message that I have preached at our church. I've preached over 200 messages since our church started a little over four years ago. But I am as excited about today's message as any message that I've ever preached. And there's two reasons for that. One, I learned some things about eternity this week. I learned some things about heaven this week that I had never really thought about or focused on before. And it's excited me spiritually. Secondly, as a father... We're calling today Family Ministry Vision Sunday. I've got a son who's 14, I've got a little girl who's 12. And the things I learned this week about the value that I can have in my children's life spiritually, or if you're a grandparent, or if you're a coach, or if you're a neighbor of a teenager who runs around, if you have the opportunity to influence younger people or people at all, what we learned today is just phenomenal in John chapter 3. If you haven't already, reach inside your worship guide. There's some sermon notes you can pull out so you can follow along, some kind of fill-in-the-blank stuff. But in John chapter 3, we meet Jesus talking to a man named Nicodemus, and here's the story that unfolds in John chapter 3. We'll read through verse 21. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night, and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people have loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and won't come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, I don't know if you saw it, but I believe the greatest promise of the Bible And the greatest process for claiming that promise are found in John chapter 3. What we have just read holds the keys to the greatest promise of the Bible and the greatest process in the Bible for claiming that promise. I want to talk to you first about the promise. So if you're taking notes, that's number one. I want to talk to you about the promise in probably the most well-known, most 
overexposed verse on planet Earth. If you watch any football games today, I don't know if you know it, but the Denver Broncos are playing the New England Patriots for a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Then the Arizona Cardinals are playing the Carolina Panthers for a chance to go to the Super Bowl. How many of you could care less that that's going on today? Raise your hand. I just want to know who I need to pray for. You know, God bless you. I'll be praying that God get your heart right so you'll pay attention to football. But at some point during the game today, if you watch the game today, they're going to pan the stands. And at some point, you're going to see John 3.16 hanging somewhere in the stadium, written on a piece of tape, written on a wristband. You're just going to see it because that's the most used, well-known verse in all of the world. And it's one of the greatest promises that anyone has offered everyone. Look at verses 16 and 17 in your Bible. What a promise for God so loved the world. That means you and I. That he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. The promises that Jesus wants to save us and give us eternal life with him. What a promise that is. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to have eternal life? Are you excited for eternal life? Do you know anything about eternal life? Because when you read the last two chapters of this book, and it talks about eternal life, it talks about heaven, it talks about the end times and what will be forever, man, eternal life is unbelievable. The things we read about eternal life, the aspects of heaven that we read about are incredible. Revelation 21, 21 says there's going to be streets of gold in heaven. Revelation 21, 18 says there's going to be walls that are made of pure diamond in heaven. Um, Revelation 22, 1 says there's going to be a sea that's made of crystal. Revelation 22, 2 says there's going to be trees that heal people. Revelation 21, 21 says there's going to be gates in the walls of diamonds that are made of pearls. And Revelation 22, 2 says there's going to be food for life, like there's never harvest season and planting season, but it's just every day there's enough food for everyone out of everything. That's the thing. I was like, all right, you know, I can take that. Gold and diamonds, those, those are cool, but food for life that like that's a good thing and a lot of us look at these things and say christian could that even be possible streets of gold walls of diamond trees that heal i mean that's just crazy could that even be possible i i actually believe it is do you know when you read about the new heaven and the new earth that the bible says that part of heaven is the earth recreated the way it was in the garden of eden and that the streets of gold are on planet earth and that the walls of diamond are on planet earth and that the gates of pearl are on planet earth and trees that heal are on planet earth. You say, that's crazy, is it? How many of you are wearing some kind of gold today? Uh, in a ring, on a watch, on a chain. Where'd that come from? Somebody make that? Or did it come from inside the earth? I mean, is it possible that our earth is already filled with enough gold to have streets of gold, but in the corruption of the earth and the flood in sin, that it's, it's kind of all been buried in a world that's been broken. But the reality is there's gold that exists inside our world that if it was all in the right place at the right time, it would actually be a street of gold right now. Where do diamonds come from? Anybody wearing a diamond today? Or wish he would put a ring on it so you could be wearing a diamond today? I, I mean, where do diamonds come from? I mean, don't diamonds come from diamond mines inside the world? I mean, it, aren't there technically probably walls of diamond that already exist on planet Earth today? They're just buried under the surface of the Earth. But because of the brokenness of sin, they, they've been buried, and we have to work hard to uncover them, but they're already there. Where's medicine come from today? I mean, I mean, doesn't medicine, a lot of it, come from trees and plants and herbs that they find and already exist? I'm not talking about like Colorado medicine. I'm talking about like, like real medicine that will help you when you're sick. Where's that come from? See, that comes, that comes from earth. Where's food come from? I mean, we have to work hard from it, but doesn't food, I mean, don't you just bury something in the ground and it comes right? See, this earth holds everything that will one day be here for eternity, 
but it's all in the right amount, at the right structure, in the right place. And the reason those things seem so cool in eternity is because they seem so, so cool now. I mean, we look at gold, we look at diamonds, we look at crystal, we look at healing, we look at pearls, we look at food, and we think, yeah, those are good things. So eternity is going to be great because those things are good. And imagine when we have as many of those as we want. And the reality is, the fact is, humanity digs deep to bring the best qualities of eternity to the surface of the present day for our enjoyment. We dig deep to find gold. We dig deep to find diamonds. We dig deep to go in search of crystals. We, we dive in the sea to find pearls. We work hard to plant crops. I mean, we work hard and dig deep to take some aspects that are going to be in eternity and to have just a little bit of them now because we know a little bit is good. A lot is going to be great. But let me ask you a question. Why is the same thing not true spiritually? How deep will we dig to prioritize and bring the best spiritual qualities of eternity to the surface of our life. I mean, we work hard digging and purchasing the the valuable things, the valuable things we see in eternity so we can have a little bit now because a little bit is good, but a lot is going to be unbelievable. But what about the spiritual things that are in eternity? Will we work as hard to dig up and put the spiritual things we find in eternity in our life right now? Because the purpose of Christianity in John chapter 3 is not eternal life. The purpose of Christianity in John chapter 3 is spiritual life, which just happens to be eternal. But Jesus didn't start talking about eternity until after he got done talking about spiritual life. Look at verses 5 through 8. The purpose of Christianity is not just to live forever the way you are. The purpose of Christianity is to have spiritual life that will then last forever. Look at verses 5 through 8. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to the flesh, but spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but cannot tell from where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So if you were to ask Jesus, eternal life is way more about spiritual life than everlasting life, which means this, the type of eternal life you'll have is way more important than the, the, than the duration of eternal life. So what you'll do in heaven is way more important than how long you'll do it. It's why Psalm 90 verse 4 says a thousand years in God's sight is like a day that's just gone by or like a watch in the night. You won't sit around in eternity thinking we're going to do this forever. You won't think about forever. You'll think about what you're doing and think it's awesome that we get to do this today. The type of life in eternity, spiritual life, is more important than the duration of life. And what I found out as I've read John chapter 3 that's really challenge my spirit as a christian this week is this your eternal life only closely resembles your current life if your current life closely resembles spiritual life let me say that again your eternal life only closely resembles your current life if your current life closely resembles spiritual life say well what does spiritual life look like i'm so glad that you asked that question Because in Revelation 21 and 22, we find out not only what heaven looks like, but what we do in heaven. And there's 10 things listed that Christians do in heaven. They worship God and they sing. They fellowship with other Christians. They serve God and other people. They give offerings. They enjoy a Sabbath rest. They share meals with friends. They have holiness in their life. They learn and gain spiritual control. They spend time with God. They live life with Jesus at the very, very center. And we read that list and we think, man, heaven is going to be awesome. Unless this type of life isn't awesome to you. I want you to look back at those 10 things because some of you are planning to take a trip to a heaven that looks a particular way, but you're not sure what you're going to be doing there. And when you look at that, that doesn't really appeal to you because you've wanted heaven for the eternal life, not the spiritual life. 
Because if you just look at the way you live your life today, spiritual life is not that appealing to you. You're not really pursuing it. Because who wants to live a life where you get to worship God and sing forever? Who wants to live a life where you get to fellowship with other Christians every week? Who wants to live a life where you get to serve God and others? Who wants to live a life where you give offerings for the rest of your life? Who wants to live a life where you actually take a day off and enjoy a Sabbath rest for the rest of your life? Who wants to live a life where you're forced to share meals with friends when you really don't have any time for people? Who wants to live a life of holiness where the things in your life that need to go, they actually finally go? Who wants to live a life where you're learning and gaining spiritual knowledge? Who wants to live a life where you get to spend time with God? And who wants to live a life with Jesus at the center? If we look at our current day life, we would say a lot of us are not pursuing spiritual life so our eternal life is going to look different than our current life because our current life does not look like spiritual life and jesus says spiritual life is a big deal and it just happens to be eternal but what if we would work as hard to bring spiritual things in our life to the surface as we did to bring valuable things in our life to the surface What if we would sacrifice as much for the spiritual things as we did saving up to buy a ring to ask somebody to marry us? You see, for many people, the adjustment to eternal spiritual life is going to be interesting because they've refused to embrace the current spiritual life. It's just, it's not a priority for them. And what you want to do in heaven, you want to just live the life you live now, just you just want to keep living it. You don't don't want to die. That's not heaven. Heaven is spiritual life, which just happens to live forever. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, how do we reorganize our life to look like this? Let me ask you a question. You look at those 10 things, that's going to be heaven one day. Okay, great. So God wants our life to look as much like this now as it will then. You say, how in the world at this point in my life, in 2016, am I going to rearrange my life to look like that? How am I going to dig deep? It's the process. And in John chapter 3, we see the promise, and it's a great promise. But we see the process to obtaining that process, that, that promise. Look at John chapter 3, verse 3. John 3, 3. Pretty easy to remember. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus is telling us if you want the promise of eternal life, you have to go through the process of being born again to spiritual life. And that happens now not later. Jesus, believe it or not, wants you to experience a rebirth of spiritual life on earth right now. Jesus doesn't want you to raise your hand to follow him and commit to follow him because one day you're going to be with him in eternity. Jesus says right now, like you can start your eternal life. I want you to think about this for a minute. If one day you will be immortal, doesn't that mean you're already immortal? Like if one day you're going to have eternal life, doesn't that mean you already have eternal life? And if we know what the future eternal life looks like, shouldn't we try to live that eternal life now? That's what Jesus is talking about. It's why Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, said don't just pray about heaven one day. Pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on... That's right now. Jesus said you need to, when you begin your your spiritual life... You need to pray and figure out how you can start living your eternal life now on earth as it'll be in heaven. Or you're going to be lost when you get to heaven. You're going to be like bumping someone and say, how do we do do this? And they're going to say, did you not like praise and worship God your whole time on earth? Well, no, I was waiting to heaven to do that. Well, you know, just catch up. Like you're going to have to take a beginner's class in heaven because you refuse to live spiritual life on earth as it will one day be in heaven. 
And Jesus wanted Nicodemus to have his eyes open to this fact. Nicodemus was saying, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, you know, I've been born and I've done some religious stuff. I don't understand how to see the kingdom of God right now. I don't understand how to experience eternal life right now. And Jesus said, you need to open your eyes to the fact that you've got to be born again. Spiritually, you've got to be reborn. You've got to open your eyes to God as your source. And Jesus uses a word picture that the only human being who had ever really experienced it was Adam. In the Garden of Eden, we're told God created Adam. And he formed him out of the dust of the ground. And he was just a lump of clay in, in the form of a human. And the Bible says that God leaned over him and he breathed the breath of God, the spirit of God. He breathed spiritual life into Adam's lungs. And Adam, for the first time, as his chest began to expand and blood began to flow through his veins and his heart began to beat, Adam, when he opened his eyes for the very first time, a lump of clay that had give, been given spiritual life, he opened his eyes and literally the face of God would have been pulling away from him that had just blown spiritual life into his nostrils. And Adam would have been the first human, but certainly not the last, who would open his eyes to the reality, God is my source of everything. I am alive because of that thing right there. I, I have breath in me because he gave it to me. He is my source for life. And God was saying, Nicodemus, if you could see like Adam saw, if you could open your eyes to spiritual life, not religious life, but spiritual life, and see God is the source of everything, you'll be ready for the kingdom of God because that's how it works in heaven. That's how you see in heaven. But the reality of this truth is easier to grasp than the routine of it. Like, all right, Christian, I want that. Man, Christian, I need that. And I'm saying, okay, well, here, here's your life. Here's how you need to be born again, and here's how to reorder your life. And you're thinking, man, I don't know how to reorganize my life. You say, why? Because here's the question that Nicodemus asked Jesus. How do I start over when I'm old? Like, i got to work tomorrow. Sometimes I work on Sundays. I not only can't give offerings today, like I can't even pay my bills and you want me to give offerings. You want me to spend time with other Christians and I haven't even seen my kids yet this month. You want me to spend time in fellowship and eat meals with other Christians when our family hasn't eaten a meal together at our table. How do you reorganize your life when you're old? Look at the question Nicodemus asked Jesus. It's a great question. John chapter 3 verse 4. How can someone be born when they're old? How do you do this when you're old? So the routine of spiritual life after you're born again, it's, it's hard because you have, to, you have to dig as deep to kind of dig out spiritual life as you do to dig out a gold ring or a diamond from a mind or to do the chemistry needed to make a plant turn into medicine that will help you. Or as hard as it is to put crops in the ground and wait the entire summer until they're ready to be harvested in the fall. It's hard when you're old. Or you can look at what Jesus said, and you might say, I'd like to be born again. I'd like to have spiritual life, but I'm kind of embarrassed of all that I've done in my life. Maybe I'm disqualified. Look at John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Because Jesus said, here's another reason it's difficult when you're older to, to just begin brand new with spiritual life. Jesus said, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who does evil hates the light, and they won't come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Jesus said there's a lot of people who, who later in life would like to start over. They'd like to be born again and they'd like to have spiritual life, but they're afraid that that process will allow people to know who they are and what they've done. And they'll be embarrassed about who they were. It's hard to be born again and start spiritual life when you're older, but it's not impossible. And maybe you're here today and you've never been born again. 
say, Christian, how do I know if I've ever been born again? Because the word that Jesus used for born is the word born. If I were to ask you when your birthday was, there's a date on a birth certificate somewhere that says this is when you were born. If I were to ask you when were you born again, this is one conversation I have a lot of times with people when they, you know, they say, how do I know if I'm a Christian? I say, when were you born again? They say, well, I've, just, I've kind of always been a Christian. I say, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says at a point in time you're born again. You, you have a spiritual birth. There's actually a date stamped on a spiritual birth certificate for you. That would be like me asking someone, when's your birthday? And say, you know, I've just kind of always been alive. Like, yeah, sure you have. Well, what were you in your previous life? I mean, you know, that, that becomes a hard conversation. When were you born again? Maybe today is your day to be born again. If, if you don't have an answer to that question, but you want to experience spiritual life that lasts for an eternity, today can be the day that you are born again. And some of you have been born again, but your life today doesn't look anything like what it will look like in eternity because you need to reorder it a little bit. So, Christian, how do I reorder my life? At our church, we talk about four E's that we try to press into everyone's life because we think this gets you closer to what heaven will look like one day. We say we believe everybody um, weekly should experience worship, a worship service where we sing and praise God and we listen to someone teach the Bible, me or someone else. We believe everyone should engage in small groups and spend time with other Christians because we're going to do that in heaven one day. So this would be good practice for what that will look like then. We believe everybody ought to embrace serving because one day in heaven we're going to serve God and we're going to serve other people so we might as well learn how to do that now and we believe everybody ought to be equipped with a spiritual growth plan which means you're growing in knowledge and insight of who God is because in heaven we're going to be moving towards perfect knowledge so why not get halfway or even a tenth of the way now we say if you will lean into these four E's we believe you'll begin to build a routine that works in eternity and that gets you ready for it but on family on family ministry vision Sunday There's one more thing that we can do if we're parents or grandparents or coaches or teachers and and we kind of live in the life of the next generation. There's one more thing you and I can do to dig deep to reorganize the world with eternal qualities at the service. I call it a bonus opportunity. And you say, what's the bonus opportunity on top of the four E's? We can help our children organize their life according to spiritual life now so it won't be so difficult for them to change when they're older. We can help our kids not have to ask the question that Nicodemus asked when he said, man, how am I going to do this now? Because my, my life is kind of set in place. We can help our kids not have to say what Jesus said in John three nineteen and 20. You know, I'd like to have spiritual life, but I'm really embarrassed of what I've done. And, you know, I'm just embarrassed for anyone to know who I was and the decisions that I made. We can help our kids order their lives according to who Jesus is now. Because that's easier. So he says who? Jesus, look at verse 21 in John chapter 3. Jesus said, whoever lives by the truth, that's the thought of a lifetime lived in a direction. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. We have a chance to help our children. Many of us weren't given this opportunity. Some of us were. But we have the chance for our children to live in the light of God their entire life so that there's no shame of stepping into the light and so that they can live in the sight of God their entire life. Proverbs 22.6 says it this way, start children off in the way that they should go, and even when they're old, they won't turn from it. So how do I start my child off? How do I help my child? How do I push my child towards spiritual life and being born again? Jesus gives us the answer again in John chapter 3. There's so much in John chapter 3, but we have to kind of read it a verse at a time. Look at verse 14. You say, how do I keep Jesus in front of my kids? Jesus told us how to in John 3.14. 
In John 3.14, Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. We read over that, and many of you had no idea what that meant. You didn't even hear it the first time I read it. Now that you're reading it, it's like, what, snakes? And what, is this one of those type of churches? No, I hate snakes. We'll never be that type of church, even if that was our theology, and it's not. Someone else would have to handle them because I'm scared of them. Um, but Jesus said, you, you, you want to raise your kids? Do the snake thing. It's like, whoa, hey, hang on. What's the snake thing? Jesus said, do, do what Moses did. So there's a story in the Old Testament about the people of Israel when they were spending time in the desert who began to complain against God. They began to get an incredible sin. They began to become incredibly discouraged and discontent in their hearts. And they ended up in a spot in the desert that they must have had a snake den because it said snakes, poisonous snakes began to come out and they began to bite people at night and people began to die. And the people went to Moses and they're like, everyone's dying, the snakes are here. And Moses went to God and he's like, everyone's dying, the snakes are here, what do we do? And God said, put a, put a copper snake, um, put, make a, like basically a staff of copper, um, put a snake on it and raise it up in the air and tell the people, if they'll trust me to take care of them, tell the people to look on the snake realizing that I'm bigger than the snake they're worshiping. And when they look on it, they will be healed. Most people don't understand. That's one of the most well-known symbols in our society today. This is on the side of every ambulance. This comes from the Bible story saying God is a healer. That, that's what that means. And God told Moses, just get in front of the people that I can help them and keep that in front of them. And Jesus is saying, you want to raise your kids to lean into spiritual truth, keep Jesus in front of them. Put Jesus on a staff. Keep Jesus in front of their life. And I want to be honest with you, parents. If you're a parent, you have the best opportunity to do this with your kids. You know, I've, I've got a little illustration here that comes from the children's ministry and student ministry stuff that we work with that just illustrates the influence a parent can have in a teenager's life. You know, from the time you're your child is born, there's 936 weeks between when they're born and when they leave for college. 936. There's 936 little marbles in this jar. Here's how many weeks you have with your child once they're born. 936 weeks that God has given you to lead them before they go off to school. If your child is nine, you're already halfway done. Half of your influence is gone. If your child is a middle schooler, you're about, two, you're about two-thirds of the way done. If your child is 13 and a half, they're almost done with your influence spiritually. You say, well, my goal to influence them is just, you know, I just get them to church and let the church influence. I get them to a youth leader, let the youth leader influence. Get them to youth camp, let the youth camp influence them. Do you know the average student spends 40 hours a, week, uh, 40 hours a year in church? By the time you go through sports, vacations, being sick, just visiting grandma and grandpa, the average child spends 40 hours a year in church. And we have parents who say, here's my strategy. I'm going to have a child, and here's all the time I'm going to have with them, and I'm going to take them to church, and I'm going to let the church help them. Because the church, the church's influence compared to yours is nothing. But if you don't embrace it now, you're going to miss it. You know, a popular phrase among parents, especially when kids are little, is this phrase, it's, uh, it's just a phase. That's just a phase. When things are going bad, it's just a phase. You know, my kid won't stop waking up in the middle of the night, but it's just a phase. Um, you know, my child literally every 25 minutes uses a bathroom in their diaper, but it's just a phase. Uh, you know, my kid is struggling in middle school, but it's just a phase. And we kind of use the phrase, just the, we use the phrase, it's, it's just a phase, to kind of dismiss seasons in our 
child's life instead of embracing them. And my challenge to you today is to embrace every phase of your child's life so that they might know who Jesus is down the road. I was texting with one of our volleyball moms last week. We have several competitive volleyball kids who go to our youth group. They, and now is the busy season. So I was just texting, hey, how's it going? Um, you know, we're praying for her, her mom on some other things that are going on in Hannibal, Missouri. Um, and we were just texting back and forth. And she said, my husband saw the craziest shirt at a volleyball tournament this weekend and texted it. And actually wrote it down when I saw it. I thought, that is, that is a crazy shirt. But this is how a lot of parents think of sports. She said her husband saw a shirt with this on the back. Some people wait their whole lives to meet their favorite athlete. I raised mine. Um, you know, and there's a whole host of parents who are just, I mean, racing after. They just worship their kids and, and their sports. They just do. Um, I thought about that phrase because I got that text while I was preparing this message. And I thought, you know, some people wait their entire lives to meet Jesus in heaven. They think that's where they're supposed to meet Jesus. But I want my kids to meet him now. Like, I want them to know him now. And I want to spend every one of my 936 weeks, I want to spend for my little girl less than this, for my son less than this, I want to spend that time trying to embrace every phase so they might know who Jesus is because I know it doesn't last forever. Watch this video as we recognize and realize how quickly life goes so that we can embrace every phase our child goes through and teach them about Jesus.
that video makes me sad every time I watch it because my jar looks like this. I didn't even, I'd never even thought about it this way. But when I did and I realized mine looked like that, I thought, Lord, oh, I should have been more focused. I should have been more intentional. Should have tried hard, I should have tried harder. I should, I should have done a better job. So you say, what's left? What do, what do we do? For those of you who are parents on Family Ministry Vision Sunday, here's our goal for you as mom, dads, grandmas, grandpas, aunts and uncles, coaches, teachers. There's three ways you can press spiritual life into your young people and cheat the devil out of what he'd like to do in the life of your children. Number one, set the example. What does that mean? It means you've got to be born again, mom or dad. You've got to be born again and you've got to pursue spiritual life that is eternal, not eternal life that's just forever. Secondly, be around. Be a part of their spiritual journey. Don't just root them on in education, in athletics, in the arts. Root them on spiritually and help cheer them on to their next spiritual step. And then number three, leverage the ordinary. Try to figure out how in your daily life you can leverage ordinary conversations to speak into the life spiritually of your teenagers. As I was praying over this message this morning and I was going over it one more time, I looked at those three things and I was so grateful for my mom and dad. And I texted my mom and dad real early this morning and said, I'm preaching on parenting this morning, showing our parents how to help their kids be in a position to love God. And I said, looking back, you did it perfect. Thank you. You did it perfect. Thank you. Parents, I don't know where you are today, but I know from this point forward, regardless of how many are left, if you will set the example, if you will be around their spiritual journey, and you will leverage the ordinary every week to have spiritual conversations, 
I believe we can press our kids past where Nicodemus was, where he said, it's really hard to, it's really hard to do that now. I've got a lot of things already set in place. You can get past where Jesus was in John three nineteen and 20, where he said, it's kind of hard after you've lived a whole life in the dark to step into the light because it can be embarrassing. But if we will take the bonus opportunity of pushing our kids towards Jesus at the beginning, and if they embrace him, I mean, it's just a phase, but if in every phase we'll hold Jesus up on a stick and say, here he is, look at him, follow him. Man, what could God do? Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Every head is bowed.